Greetings, everyone. Are you a member of the True Church? How many True Churches are there? What is the True Church? How can you know if you are in the True Church? And if you are in the True Church, how can you stay in the True Church of God? These are questions every person who desires to be a genuine Christian faces. We should know the answers. Not knowing the answers has already put the salvation of many in jeopardy and can put your salvation in jeopardy. A good deal of misinformation has been propagated concerning the matter of being in the church and how it relates to our standing before God. Years ago, in the midst of an apostasy being engineered by leaders of a Church of God fellowship, people were told that God called them into a particular corporate church body, and that's where he expects them to stay. Individuals have said, God called me into this church, meaning a particular corporate organization of men, and this is where I'm staying. Is that what God called us into? Is that true? Others have said, Mr. X, and you can insert any number of names there, is God's anointed, so whatever he says, I'll follow. And to leave the church, that is, the church perceived as a human corporate organization, is regarded as rebellion against God's anointed. Is that true? Is a particular religious leader, God's anointed, is leaving the corporate church led by such a leader rebellion against God's anointed. In the midst of wholesale doctrinal changes, members of what had been purported to be God's church were told God will never leave you nor forsake you. The implication being that God would never leave you or forsake you if you remain attached to a particular corporate church organization. Is it true that God makes an unconditional promise never to leave nor forsake us if we simply remain attached to a particular corporate body or follow a particular leader who may claim to have some exalted office or some special relationship with God? In a previous sermon, I addressed these questions primarily from the perspective of a church organization, and we learned that we are not called into a church organization of this world, but our baptism is into Jesus Christ and his death. And we ended with the conclusion that wherever an assembly of God's true church is, it will be walking in God's ways and keeping God's commandments. In this sermon, which is part two, and the final sermon in this series, How Can You Find and Remain in the True Church?, I intend to focus more on leaders who claim the loyalty of people who have believed their claims of authority in the name of Jesus Christ. What is your obligation as a Christian in evaluating the claims of any would-be leader? Should you follow someone based on his claims to be an apostle or a prophet or an evangelist or some other exalted office? Should you follow someone merely on that basis or should you put those claims to the test? Many have fallen prey to leaders who make such claims. How can you avoid deception and be sure that the leaders with whom you choose to associate are genuine? As mentioned earlier, 
the first of this sermon series ended with the conclusion that wherever an assembly of God's true church is, it will be walking in His ways and keeping His commandments. Now the Sabbath command was given to help us remember who is the true God and that it is He who makes us holy. As we read in Exodus 31 and verse 13, Exodus 31 verse 13, God said, My Sabbath you shall keep, for it is a sign between me and you throughout your generations that you may know that I am the Lord who sanctifies you. That I am the Lord who sanctifies you. I'm the one who sets you apart and makes you holy. That's what to sanctify means. And so the Sabbath was to help us be mindful and remember who it is that sanctifies us. If we, we reject the Sabbath or any of God's holy Ten Commandments or other commandments as applicable under the New Covenant, then we will forget the true God. We will fail to properly identify who the true God is. We read in Deuteronomy 8, verse 11, Deuteronomy 8, verse 11, Beware that you do not forget the Lord your God by not keeping His commandments. Beware that you do not forget the Lord your God by not keeping His commandments. So, if we fail to keep God's commandments, then we will eventually forget God. We will lose sight of the true God. Now, we may have some God that we worship, but it won't be the God who revealed Himself to Israel. It won't be the God who truly created the universe and all that exists that's created. He said, going on with His warning here he said beware that you do not forget the lord your god by not keeping his commandments his judgments and his statutes which i command you today in other words the commandments were those that god commanded at that time to be kept and to reject even one of god's commandments is in principle to reject them all as we read in James chapter 2 and verse 10, James 2 and verse 10, whoever has kept the whole law and yet has offended in one point has become guilty of all. And the context makes it clear that James was referring to the Ten Commandments and ancillary laws. He went on to write in James 2 beginning with verse 8, he said, if indeed you fulfill the royal law, According to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You do well. But if you have respect to persons, you commit sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever has kept the whole law and yet has offended in one point has become guilty of all. For he who said do not commit adultery also said do not kill. Now if you commit no adultery, yet if you kill you have become a transgressor of the law. So speak and so do as they that shall be judged by the law of liberty. Now notice that he spoke of keeping the Ten Commandments within the context of this overall commandment, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Loving your neighbor as yourself does not give us 
an excuse to break the laws that tell us how to love our neighbors as ourselves, which are the Ten Commandments and other commandments that, as I said, are ancillary to those more general commandments. If anyone rejects the commandments of God, he is in doing so rejecting God. He may not see it that way or think of it in those terms, but God thinks of it in those terms. We read in 2 Chronicles chapter 24 and verse 20, 2 Chronicles 24 and verse 20, when the Spirit of God came upon Zechariah, who said, Thus says God, Why do you transgress the commandments of the Lord so that you cannot prosper? Why do you transgress the commandments of the Lord so you cannot prosper? Because you have forsaken the Lord, he has he also has forsaken you. Notice that here uh, transgressing the commandments of the Lord is equated with forsaking God. When anyone forsakes the commandments of God as applicable under the new covenant, he is forsaking God. The Sabbath was given to us to help us remember who is the true God and that it, it is he who makes us holy as, I, as we read earlier. And uh, he said in Exodus 31 verse 13, Speak to the children of Israel, saying, My Sabbath you shall keep. It is a sign between me and you throughout your generations that you may know that I am the Lord who sanctifies you. And if we reject the Sabbath or any of God's holy commandments, we will forget God. And as we saw earlier, to reject even one of God's commandments is to reject them all. Now, some apostate leaders, quoting and misapplying Hebrews 13 and verse 5, have assured brethren that God will never leave you or forsake you, the implication being as long as they remain attached to a particular corporate body, they will not be forsaken. And yet this very verse, as well as the overall context, we find relates this promise to our conduct. In writing this statement, Paul was quoting the promise from Deuteronomy 31 verses 5 and 6 where it is placed in the context of Israel overcoming their enemies in accordance with God's commandments. In Deuteronomy 31 beginning with verse 5 we read the Lord will give them over to you meaning the enemies of Israel the people that they were to displace in the land of Canaan the Lord will give them over to you that you may do to them according to every commandment which I have commanded you. Be strong and of good courage. Do not fear nor be afraid of them for the Lord your God, he is the one who goes with you. He will not leave you nor forsake you. So it was in the context of them obeying God's commands to do the things that he had told them to do. But the promise that God would not leave nor forsake them was conditional. In this very context, God warned Israel that when they forsook him and broke his covenant, that he would in turn forsake them. God spoke to Moses and said in Deuteronomy 31, beginning verse 16, Deuteronomy 31, verse 16, God said to Moses, 
Behold, you will rest with your fathers, and this people will rise up and play the harlot. This people being the people of Israel. This people will rise up and play the harlot with the gods of the foreigners of the land. Where they go to be among them, and they will forsake me and break my covenant which I have made with them. And my, then my anger shall be aroused against them in that day, and I will forsake them. Notice he said, they will break my covenant and my anger will be aroused against them and I will forsake them and I will hide my face from them and they shall be devoured and many evils and troubles shall befall them so that they will say in that day, have not these evils come upon us before, because our God is not among us? God knew the nature of the people of Israel. He knew what they would eventually do. And he was able to predict accurately what they did in fact do. And eventually he forsook them. Left them to their own devices and they wound up going eventually into captivity. They were driven out of the land that God had given them. In the New Testament too we are warned against denying or forsaking God through disobedience. In Titus 1 and verse 16, Titus 1 verse 16, Paul wrote to Titus of those who profess to know God, but in works they deny him, being abominable, disobedient, and disqualified for every good work. Now the Greek word arnaamai, which is translated to die in this verse, in the New King James Version, According to Strong's Concordance and other sources, the word Arna Amai means to contradict, in other words, to disavow, to reject, to abnegate, or renounce, to deny, to refuse. In practical terms, the word means to deny God is to forsake Him. And turning God's grace into license to break his law is also denying or forsaking God. We read in Jude 1 and verse 4, Jude 1 and verse 4, For certain men have crept in unnoticed who long ago were marked out for this condemnation, ungodly men who turn the grace of our God into licentiousness and deny the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. Notice it was prophesied that there would be men creeping into the church, pretending to be a part of the church, pretending to be leaders and ministers, among other things, who would turn the grace of God into licentiousness or make it a license to sin, as has been done. And in doing so, they would deny the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. And just as God rejected Israel when they forsook him through disobedience to his word, he will forsake us individually or collectively if we do the same. Paul wrote in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 12, 2 Timothy 2, and verse 12, If we endure, we shall also reign with him, if we deny him, he will he also will deny us. If we deny Christ through 
such behavior we, as we read about by turning God's grace into license and so forth if we deny God then he will deny us and that goes for any any leader any church any group of people or any individual who does those things if we deny Christ through willful disobedience and and uh, forsaking his way of life that he will deny us if we forsake God through rejecting his commandments then we will have effectively left the church the true church of God and it will no longer be if it ever was the true church of God to remain part of the true church on the other hand we must as God's word instructs reject leaders who turn from God's law. We can't continue to follow leaders who are leading us in a path of destruction and expect to continue to be a part of God's church, at least not for very long. Now, some have become convinced that some particular individual, usually someone making extravagant claims about himself, is God's anointed. And it's amazing how people can get up and make those kinds of claims and then gain a following, it seems, very readily. And people become convinced that those claims are true, that this person is a, someone specially chosen by God to lead his church, or at least a, 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 a church, and that hence they must follow that person no matter what. Actually, all of God's true ministers are anointed in the sense of having been set apart by the Holy Spirit to their offices, but also all are free moral agents. And any of them can disqualify himself. The Apostle Paul knew that he himself could become disqualified. As he wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, and verse 27, 1 Corinthians 9, verse 27, I discipline my body and bring it into subjection, lest when I preach to others, I myself should become disqualified. Paul himself, with all that he did in the service of the gospel, knew that he could become disqualified if he did not maintain discipline, spiritual discipline, and continue on the right path. Now, if Paul, the apostle, could become disqualified, anyone could. Satan was God's anointed. Satan, who, whose title now means an adversary, was at one time God's anointed. He was an archangel. He was among the highest ranking of the angels. There were actually, there were actually three archangels mentioned in scripture and he was one of them the highest ranking among the angels until he sinned and then he was cast out as profane from God's presence as we read in Ezekiel 28 beginning verse 14 Ezekiel 28 verse 14 speaking to Lucifer or the light bringer who became Satan you were the anointed cherub who covers. I established you. You were on the holy mountain of God. You walked back and forth in the midst of 
fiery stones, you were perfect in your ways from the day you were created till iniquity was found in you. By the abundance of your trading, you became filled with violence within and you sinned. Therefore, I cast you as a profane thing out of the mountain of God. And I destroyed you, O covering cherub, from the midst of the fiery stones. So, even the highest ranking of those whom God has anointed can be cast out if they turn against God. If they become adversaries to God and his way of life. Saul was anointed king over Israel. As we read in 1 Samuel 10 and verse 1, 1 Samuel 10 and verse 1, Samuel took a flask of oil and poured it on his head, that's Saul's head, and kissed him and said, Is it not because the Lord has anointed you commander over his inheritance? So God had anointed, through Samuel, he had anointed Saul as king of Israel commander over the inheritance of God, the people of Israel. But because of Saul's disobedience to God, he was later rejected as king. Samuel said to Saul after he had repeatedly failed to be faithful in 1 Samuel 15 verse 23, 1 Samuel 15 verse 23, Samuel said to Saul, because you've rejected the word of the Lord, he has rejected you from being king. And so Saul was removed and replaced as king of Israel. There are many similar examples in the scriptures. The true anointed one to whom we must always be faithful, regardless of cost, is Christ, our Messiah, which means anointed one. Jesus Christ is the anointed one. He is the supreme anointed of God according to God's word as we read in Hebrews 1 and verse 9. Hebrews 1 and verse 9, You have loved righteousness and hated lawlessness. Therefore God, your God, has anointed you, meaning Jesus Christ. God, God the Father, has anointed you, Jesus Christ, with the oil of gladness more than your companions. And other scriptures tell us that there's no one who ranks higher, who has greater authority under God the Father than Jesus Christ. We are to test those who claim the mantle of, apostles, of, of apostleship or of being any kind of minister of Christ. Those who are false apostles or false ministers are deceitful and speak lies. We read in 2 Corinthians 11 and verse 13. 2 Corinthians 11 verse 13 where the apostle Paul spoke of false apostles, deceitful workers transforming themselves into apostles of Christ. So their claims they were making these claims to be apostles, but they were false. They were lying. They were deceiving people. Jesus Christ, in speaking to the Ephesus church in the book of Revelation, chapter 2 and verse 2, Revelation 2 and verse 2 said, I know your works, your labor, your patience, and that you cannot bear those who are evil, and you have tested those who say they are apostles and are not 
and have found them liars. So there were people coming along making false claims to be apostles very early in the history of the church in the first century when Peter, James, John, Paul and the other apostles were active there were others coming along trying to subvert their efforts and and, uh, replace them and supplant them but these were false apostles false leaders just as there were false prophets in the Old Testament who claimed to speak for God, but God had not sent them, nor was he using them to speak through because they were walking contrary and speaking contrary to his word. The standard by which we judge someone's authority or his claim to authority is God's word. God's word is truth. Jesus said in prayer to God in John 17 verse 17 he asked God to sanctify them that is his disciples by your truth your word he said is is truth and we read in Isaiah 8 and verse 20 Isaiah 8 and verse 20 to the law and to the testimony if they speak not according to this word it is because there is no light in them we place ourselves in jeopardy if we follow leaders who lead us into error because they will lead us into destruction. We read in Isaiah 9 and verse 16, Isaiah 9 and verse 16, the leaders of this people cause them to err, and those who are led by them are destroyed. People who follow false leaders will be destroyed because they're being led down the path of destruction. Why do you think we are warned so many times in Scripture to be vigilant and wary? We are sanctified and we are made separate from the world by the Holy Spirit and belief in the truth among uh, some other elements which I won't go into right now but uh, the the, uh, essential in our sanctification is the Holy Spirit and belief in the truth. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 13, 2 Thessalonians 2 and verse 13, we are bound to give thanks to God always for you, brethren, beloved by the Lord, because God from the beginning chose you for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. Notice how we are chosen. It is through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. That's Those are two essential elements in our sanctification, our being separated from the world and made holy, being a part of God's people, His church, in a spiritual sense. That's what makes us a part of the true body of Christ. It is that, and our faith in Christ and the blood that He shed that cleanses us from our sins, that makes us a part of the true church, the true body of Christ. It is not clinging to an organization or to some particular leader which or who rejects truth and openly endorses and encourages sin. True Christians are described in Scripture as those who, as we read in Revelation 12, verse 17, 
Revelation 12, verse 17, true Christians are described in Scripture as those who keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. In other words, who hold fast to the words, the teachings of Christ, and who keep God's commandments. The saints were told, and the term saint implies one who's been sanctified or separated to God's purpose. The saints are described in Revelation 14, verse 12, as those who keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. In other words, who follow the faith of Christ, the body of teachings and beliefs that Jesus Christ taught and believed and who keep the commandments of God. Now, Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 12, verse 18, 1 Corinthians 12, verse 18, Now God has set the members, each one of them, in the body as he pleased. What did he mean by that? And this has been used to say, well, God put you in this body, so this is where you must stay. Paul was writing in the context of different ways in which individual members can contribute to the work to which the body of Christ is called. As we read in 1 Corinthians 12, beginning with verse 4, there are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are differences of ministries, but the same Lord. There are diversities of activities, but it is the same God who works all in all. But the same, but the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, to another the word of knowledge through the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the same Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another discerning of spirits, to another different kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues, but one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually as he wills. So Paul was not recommending following into apostasy leaders who reject God's word. He was informing us that it is the same Spirit who is in all of those who are truly converted, but each of us has different gifts, different abilities that are uh, taken advantage of by God's Spirit to make us fruitful. We don't all have the same office or responsibilities or talents or gifts or opportunities. But we all have a part in the work of the body of Christ. And in the same context is emphasized the unity of spirit characteristic of God's true church. Notice that we just read that it, it is the same spirit who does all of these things. And we read in 1 Corinthians 12, verse 13. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 13. By one Spirit, we are all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and have all been made to drink into one Spirit. It is one Spirit which empowers and dwells in the true church of God, the body of Christ. And whatever the particular station or role of anyone in the church we are to share the same spirit that is the spirit of God. 
Paul warns against those preaching another Jesus. He warns of receiving a different spirit or a different gospel. We read in 1 Corinthians 11 verse 14, 1 Corinthians 11 verse 14, For if he who comes preaches another Jesus, whom we have not preached, or if you receive a different spirit which you have not received, or a different gospel which you have not accepted, you may well put up with it. Or, as it's translated in the Bible in basic English, this last phrase is worded in this way, how well you put up with those things. Or in the Bible in worldwide English translation, it says, then you listen too much. What Paul is saying here is that ironically is they are more is that they are more willing that, to listen to false teachers all too often than to those who teach the truth. As Gill's commentary remarks, they quote, receive his doctrine, that is the doctrine of the false teachers. They receive his doctrine, submit to his authority, and prefer him to the apostles, to the legitimate apostles. And they're teaching doctrines that many people find more comfortable to believe but they are false teachings and a different spirit not God's spirit but a different spirit is now at work in the world it's not to say God's spirit is not present anywhere but it is not the primary spirit that is working in this world's society and that includes the professing Christian world the world has a spirit that has led to mass confusion and profound disunity what we see around us is not the product of God's spirit what we see in the world with all of its confusion its its conflict its wars all of its evils that's not a product of God's spirit should we follow someone merely because he claims the mantle of Moses or who claims to be at the head of God's government or who claims to be the vicar of Christ? Moses was a type of Jesus Christ. He was not a type of any human leader of this age. Jesus Christ, not any fleshly human being, is, as we read in Hebrews 3 and verse 1, Jesus Christ is the apostle and high priest of our confession. And as we read in verse 6 of Hebrews 3, Christ is the son over his own house, whose house we are if we hold fast to the end. Jesus Christ is the head of the church. And he is the one of whom Moses was the type. There are ministers or leaders of churches who claim that we can have access to God only through them. And yet, according to Scripture, our access to God is not through any merely human leader. First Timothy 2 and verse 5, First Timothy 2 and verse 5, it says, There is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Jesus Christ. There is only one mediator, only one individual that we have to go through, so to speak, to reach the throne of God, God the Father. And that mediator is Jesus Christ. So we ought not to be deceived by anyone who accuses of rebellion those who remain faithful to the truth of God 
and Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the captain of our salvation according to scripture. As we read in Hebrews 2 and verse 10. Where he is said to be the he is referred to as the captain of our salvation or captain of your salvation. And the Greek word for captain there is archegos, which could also be translated author or chief leader. Our chief leader, our captain, the one to whom we must answer preeminently is Jesus Christ, and he far outranks any human leader. So if we have human leaders who are telling us to do something other than what Christ requires of us, then they have no authority to obligate us to follow them or do what they say or give them any honor or respect as servants of God. In Hebrews 3, beginning with verse 1, Hebrews 3 and verse 1, we read, Therefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and high priest of our confession, Christ Jesus, who was faithful to him who appointed him, as Moses was also faithful in all his house. For this one has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, inasmuch as he who built the house has more honor than the house. For every house is built by someone, but he who built all things is God. And Moses indeed was faithful in all his house as a servant for a testimony of those things which would be spoken afterward. But Christ is a son over his own house, whose house we are if we hold fast the confidence and rejoicing of the hope firmly to the end. Notice the condition here. It says we are a part of the household of Christ if we hold the confidence and rejoicing of the hope firm to the end. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says today, if you will hear His voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion in the day of trial in the wilderness. So we are to hear the voice of God, the voice of Christ, and do what He requires us to do. And as we read, or as we read in uh, Hebrews 3, 3 and verse 13, uh, 14, Hebrews 3 and verse 14, we have become partakers of Christ if, if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end. We are partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end. In other words, if we continue on the path of salvation outlined in Scripture. If we leave that path, if we go off in some other direction, then we are no longer partakers of Christ. So here's what we should do. If your leaders, the leaders of whatever church you might be a part of in, in terms of a corporate organization, if your leaders are faithfully following the teachings and example of Jesus Christ, then follow them. Never put human leaders in the place of Christ. Rather do as Paul instructed the church when he said, 1 Corinthians 11 and verse 1, 1 Corinthians 11 and verse 1, imitate me just as I also imitate Christ. In other words, Paul was following 
the teachings and example of Jesus Christ and in so doing, setting an example for the people that he served. And he told them, so far as I'm imitating Christ, then you imitate me. You can learn from my example. But if he were to not be imitating Christ, then they should not be following his example in those things where he was deviating from what Christ would have him do. The condition for following or continuing to follow or imitate, as it is in the Greek, the example and teaching of human leaders is that they must be faithfully following Christ's example and teaching. But we're warned not to follow leaders who teach falsehood and depart from the truth. In warning of false teachers, the Apostle John wrote, Beloved, do not imitate what is evil, but what is good. Do not imitate what is evil, but what is good. He went on to say, He who does good is of God. He who does what is good, that is good in God's sight, is of God. But he who does evil has not seen God, or in other words, does not really know God, and is not a true servant of God. God's ministers, those who are ministers of God, are warned against departing from the way, causing others to stumble at the law. As we read in Malachi 2 and verse 8, where God indicted those who had been appointed leaders in the ministry at that time, and God said that condemn what they were doing because they were departing from the way, the way of life that God outlined in his laws and causing people to stumble at the law. We're warned that those who follow leaders who teach lies causing the people to err will be destroyed as we read earlier in Isaiah chapter 9 and Isaiah 9 beginning with verse 15. The elder and honorable, he is the head of the prophet who teaches lies, he is the tail. For the leaders of this people cause them to err and those who are led by them are destroyed. In Proverbs 4 and verse 7, Proverbs 4, or excuse me, Proverbs 14 verse 7, we are instructed, go from the presence of a foolish man when you do not perceive in him the lips of knowledge. In other words, when there is someone who is teaching foolishness or lies or falsehoods, then you are to not uh, not just sit there and listen and not to uh, give credence to such foolishness. In Romans 16, verse 17, Romans 16, verse 17, we are urged to, as it says, quoting uh, from that verse, note those who cause division and offenses contrary to the doctrine which you learn. Notice it says, note those who cause division and offenses contrary to the doctrine which you learned. Referring to the doctrines being taught by Jesus Christ and faithful apostles. So we're not just to be like sponges sitting there just soaking up whatever we're being told and believing everything we're told. But it says 
we are to take note of those who cause division and defenses. That means we've got to think about what is being taught. We've got to think about what is being said. We've got to compare it with what we know to be true from the scriptures. Note those who cause division and offenses contrary to the doctrine you've learned and avoid them. So if you sit there and you note what is being taught and see that it is completely contrary to God's word and it is contradicting God's word, then you are to eventually separate yourself. Now, occasionally people make mistakes. Any, any minister can make mistakes and, and say something that's in error occasionally. We read about Peter and some of the mistakes that he made and others. And there's no one who's absolutely perfect and who always says everything exactly true. James said that no one has succeeded in completely taming the tongue. And so we all make misstatements or mistakes at times. We have perhaps a mistaken understanding of one point or another. But if you see a a pattern of deception, a pattern of departing from the truth of God's word, something that is a pattern of being contrary to the doctrine of God's word, then you need to take note of that and then separate yourself from that influence. Second Peter chapter 2, beginning with verse 1, 2 Peter 2 and verse 1, we're warned there were also false prophets among the people, even as there will be false teachers among you, who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the Lord who bought them, and bring on themselves swift destruction, and many will follow their destructive ways, because of whom the way of truth will be blasphemed. And this was happening in the church, even in the in the first century, during the era of the apostles. And this tendency toward heresy and apostasy continued to grow and develop among those who identified themselves as Christians until it completely swamped a large contingent of what had been the church and eventually it became predominant what was called Christianity but was not really Christianity because it was not what had been taught by Jesus Christ and the apostles. It was in many ways the exact opposite. There are those who promise a false liberty, which is often a very popular doctrine. Well, you can just do whatever you want to do and you'll be okay. People seem to like to hear things like that. So we read in Second Peter 2 how such false teachers promise liberty causing those who had escaped the pollutions of the world to become entangled in them again. And Peter goes on to say in, in verse 21, I believe it is, for, who, for it would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than having known it turned from the holy commandment 
delivered to them. So the burden is on us as individuals to weigh and to judge whom to follow. We ha- we all have that choice to make. We have to make a choice. And Jesus said in Matthew 7 verse 15, Matthew 7 verse 15, he said, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. Notice that he lays that burden on us as individuals to beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing because only you can decide whom you're going to follow, whom you will choose as your spiritual leader. And so you're warned to beware of false prophets. And Jesus often warned his followers to beware of religious leaders. Paul warned in Colossians 2 and verse 8, Colossians 2 and verse what? Verse 8, Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit after the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. John wrote in 1 John 4 and verse 1, 1 John 4 and verse 1, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits whether they are of God. Jesus warned those of the Philadelphia church in the book of Revelation. Revelation 3 and verse 11, he said, Behold, I come quickly, hold fast what you have, that no one may take your crown. Hold fast. In other words, if you've got the truth, hold on to it. Otherwise, you may lose it. Someone may take your crown if you don't hold fast to the truth. And these are just a few of many warnings in Scripture for us to check up, to prove, to make certain that we follow the leadership only of those who are faithful to God's Word and His commandments. Now, we are required to give respect to those who faithfully teach God's Word, a proper kind of respect, but at the same time we have to evaluate the things that are being taught and whether those individuals truly represent God or not. So, if you would abide in the church, then you must abide in Christ. And if you would abide in Christ, John gives us an outline to follow. John saw the teachings and example of Jesus Christ in the early church being cast aside for more appealing doctrines, as did Paul and others. Peter and Peter, John, Paul, others wrote about this. And John wrote in 1 John 2 and verse 24, he said, Therefore let that abide in you which you heard from the beginning. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, you also will abide in the Son and in the Father. So what's he talking about from the beginning? He's talking about what was taught by Jesus Christ and those he sent out as apostles from the beginning of the church that Christ founded. And from the scriptures we learn what was taught from the beginning. 
by Jesus Christ and the apostles. If you want to know what he's talking about, read the Bible, because that's what he's talking about. He's talking about the teachings of Jesus Christ and the apostles and the true prophets of God who preceded them. And John was witness in his time to the same kind of free-willing so-called Christianity that we see in our day characterized by the rejection of basic principles of God's law and the substitution of man-made ideas. The same kinds of things that had happened among the Jews where their religious leaders cast aside the teachings of Scripture and made up their own rules. And the same thing has been done over and over again in the history of, of the church or the so-called church of God or of Christ. Among the heresies that we have in our day is something called progress, the idea of progressive revelation. Actually, this goes back to the era at least just after the apostolic era, maybe even it was taking root at that time, but it has been something that has been followed by many ever since that time. And it's labeled progressive revelation. It's the idea that uh, what was revealed in Scripture, in the teachings of Christ and the apostles, is gradually replaced because those teachings are obsolete. They're something that is from the past and their understanding was not complete and so we have something different to offer. And it is what they have to offer is something that contradicts the teaching of Christ and the apostles. And so they substitute ideas for the things that were taught by Christ and the apostles, ideas that are contradictory to the things we find in Scripture. And this is, this is merely a fancy term for an apostasy that rejects Christ's teachings and replaces it with something else. Paul, who is likely the author of the book of Hebrews, wrote in Hebrews 2 and verse 1, Hebrews 2 beginning with verse 1, Therefore we must give the more earnest heed to the things we have heard, lest we drift away. Notice what he said, we must give the more earnest heed to the things we have heard, lest we drift away. For if the word spoken through angels proved steadfast in every transgression and disobedience, received a just reward, how can we escape if we neglect so great a salvation which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed to us by those who heard him. God also bearing witness both the signs and wonders with various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit according to his own will. So this instruction flies directly in the face of any so-called progressive revelation that replaces the teachings of Christ and the apostles with something else. He's telling us to give things that we, to give uh, earnest heed to the things that we heard, the things which at first began to be spoken by Christ and was confirmed by those who heard him, in other words, by the apostles. These things ought to be the core, the foundation of our faith. 
These are the things that the church of God must teach and emphasize. To remain in the true church of God requires that we abide in Christ. And to abide in Christ, we must keep his word. We must abide in the doctrine of Christ and in the doctrine of the apostles as it is revealed in Scripture. John wrote, Now he who keeps his commandments abides in him. And he in him. And by this we know that he abides in us by the Spirit which he has given us. And finally, and that's in 1 John 3 and verse 24, by the way. 1 John 3 and verse 24. Finally, John wrote in 2 John chapter 1 and verse 9. 2 John 1 and verse 9. Whoever transgresses and does not abide in the doctrine of Christ. And notice it's the doctrine of Christ, not some mere human leader. It's not some progressive revelation which sets aside the doctrine of Christ. It's whoever transgresses and does not abide in the doctrine of Christ does not have God and he who abides in the doctrine of Christ has both the Father and the Son. 